Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And we're going to put this on the, on, on the, uh, on the, on the whatever you call that, screen. We're going to put it on the screen. And uh, uh, it's just, uh, I, I call, the, the title of this message is The Wonder of It All. It's almost like when Paul wrote this verse in the third chapter of Timothy. You know what he'd been writing about in that third chapter? In the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 3, he was writing about the qualifications of a pastor. What were the qualifications of a man who was a bishop or who pastored a church? And then the second thing he wrote in 1 Timothy 3 was the qualification of a deacon, those who were servants in the church. And then right at the end of that chapter, it's like he just moved into a great chorus. Our, our, our great, uh, it's almost like he just got caught up in the Spirit of God with the Spirit of praise. And he wrote this verse, All right, and, and I'm going to read it as it goes. It's 1 Timothy 3.16. Now look at what it says. 35 w- w- words, by the way, 35 words. More truth than these 35 words, it'd take you all your lifetime to exhaust the truth that is in these 35 words. Look what it says. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Man, is that a good verse? We're going to read it together, okay? This is our confession. You know, they used to, I believe they used to sing this. I think it was a song they sang in the early church. I really believe it was. I also believe at times it would just be a confession that they would make as the body of Christ. And, and I'm telling you, think about these words. If they, if, they, if, if they ever get into your spirit and your heart, it'll absolutely affect your life in the deepest part of your being. Let's read it together. You ready? And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. What a powerful, powerful word of God. You know, uh, when it says that great is the mystery of godliness, anytime Paul used the word mystery, it was something that had not been known, but it was no longer a mystery. It was now known. In other words, it had kind of been in the shadows, but now it had come out into the light and was fully understood. He said, you know, now we really understand what to many people was a mystery of godliness. He says, now let me tell you what that is. God in the person of Jesus Christ entered this world in which we live. He paid the penalty for our sins and is making men and women godly. That is God-likeness. Now, that's the mystery of godliness. That's the truth. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, invaded this world, paid the penalty for our sins, and is making men and women godly. That is God-like. Man, I want to just look at this verse. I mean, it comes, it's just five tremendous truths here. God was manifested in the flesh. What does that mean? 
He was justified in the spirit. What does that mean? He was uh, seen by angels, believed, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. God was manifest in the flesh. Did you know that's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? The Hindus have hundreds of gods. The Muslims say they have one God, and Muhammad is their prophet. But, you know, what we say is this, is that we, we worship and serve the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, who is God manifest in the flesh, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the uniqueness about the Christian faith is that we believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Now, the Old Testament told us that God was going to be manifested in the flesh. Hundreds of years before it ever happened, Isaiah wrote in two tremendous passages that God would be manifested in the flesh. In Isaiah 7, 14, listen to what he says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel with an I. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. 600 years before it occurred, he said, listen, a virgin will conceive, bear a son. He will be Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know the Old Testament told us God was going to be manifest in the flesh? And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. Man, how we know, we know this verse. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And listen to how he's described. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his government there shall be no end. The Old Testament says, listen, God is going to be manifested in the flesh. The New Testament absolutely spoke of the reality of it. It spoke of the reality of it, you know, uh, you know, to spoke about it happening. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, I want you to listen to this. The Old Testament said God's going to be manifest in the flesh. And they get, you get over into the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, and listen to what it says. But, but, while, but while he thought about these things, talking about Joseph, about the fact the angel had told him that Mary was going to have a son that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is in her is, is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then he go to, goes on and quotes in verse 23. He says, let me tell you what. She's going to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And then he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. He quotes Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bring forth a son, and call his name Emmanuel. Did you know the Old Testament said God's going to be manifest in the flesh? The New Testament confirmed it. The angel said to Joseph, I'm telling you, she's going to have that son conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And he's Emmanuel, God with us. But then you go to the New Testament, and there are three passages See, because I'm going to tell you, 
You start talking to people about the fact that Jesus is 100% God. He's absolute deity, that he was God who actually became a man. I'm telling you that divides us from every other religion in this world, and it is the greatest source of controversy that you could ever have. I am telling you right now, but I want you to listen to three verses. And see, if you're going to believe the Bible, then it's not that we want to debate people or argue with people. We just simply say this is what the Bible says about Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 1, listen carefully. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, and the Word, by the way, and the Word which is in, was, with, which was with God in the beginning, and the Word that which was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we saw Him. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said, we saw Him. He came. He is God manifest in the flesh. And then you read over in the book of Colossians, and it describes so much about Jesus It talks about the fact that he is the express image of the invisible God. The express image of the invisible God in Colossians. And it talks about how that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Then you get over to Hebrews chapter 1, and it says about Jesus, he is the brightness of God's glory. He is the express image of his person, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he by himself had purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. When a person denies that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, they cease to be a Christian. Did you hear what I just said? That's the dividing point, y'all. Because the Bible says that God became flesh. And when a person denies that, they're denying the heart of the gospel. And they cease to be Christian. And I am simply saying they are lost. They're lost. I'm telling you right now. Because anybody, how can you be saved when you deny the fact that God came into this world in the person of Jesus and you're just absolutely denying the truth of the Word of God? All right, so he was, the Bible says about Jesus, God was manifested in the flesh. The Old Testament prophesied it. In Matthew, he said, Emmanuel, God with us. And three times and more in the scripture, it says he's God. He created all things. In him, all things exist. And by him, all things are held together. But now let's go on. Listen to this verse. God was manifested in the flesh. But what does it mean? He was justified in the spirit. Now what in the world is that all about? Now to be just. To be declared just is to be basically declared innocent, to be declared innocent. And so he was justified in the Spirit. You know why? First of all, there was the presence in Jesus of a sinless life. See, he could have never been justified in the Spirit unless he had lived a sinless life. And the Bible makes it very clear. The Bible says of Jesus, he is the Lamb Without spot or blemish. You know what it says about Jesus? 
It says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he says, he, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He can sympathize with us because, now listen to this, why can Jesus understand us and sympathize with us? Because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He said, you know, Jesus understands you. He knows what you go through because he was not only 100% God, the Son of God. He was perfect humanity, the Son of David, 100% man. And he lived on this earth as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Once he came, he laid aside his deity, took upon him humanity, and he lived on this earth as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Just one difference. He didn't have a sin nature. But the Bible says this. He was tempted in every way like you are yet without sin. You know why he was justified in the spirit? God manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. It was the presence of a sinless life. Hey, what about this verse? I can assure you this. He's the only person ever who lived on this earth could be said of him. He never sinned. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, are you listening? It says, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Somebody says, well, Jesus sinned just like everybody else did. Say, sir, I hate to tell you, but you are deceived. That is a lie. Jesus Christ never sinned. He was justified in his spirit because of the presence of his sinless life. But also, I want you to know, he was declared absolutely justified in his resurrection from the dead. You know, when God raised him from the dead... It was the presence of a sinless life, but it was an absolute declaration of his resurrection. You know, when God rolled the stone away and when his son Jesus walked out of that tomb alive forevermore, did you know this is what was being said? It declared once and for all that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that becoming our sin bearer and our substitute that sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was a perfect sacrifice and I accepted his sacrifice and I accepted it and sin past present and future was paid in full by the son of God and I accepted his sacrifice and I want to show you that he's justified when I raised him from the dead and Romans chapter 1 says declared to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. I'm telling you, he was justified in the Spirit. It was the presence of a sinless life, and it was the power of his resurrection. God said he was sinless. Death couldn't hold him. Death had no claim on him, and I declare him to be the Son of God. Perfect sacrifice accepted. He's justified in the Spirit. Then it goes on and says, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, and seen by angels. Do you realize that every significant event in the life of Jesus, there were angels involved with it? Every one of them. Remember I just read in Matthew that at his birth, it was an angel who appeared to Mary and told her, this is which is going to be conceived in you, is of the Holy Spirit. And then the angel appeared to Joseph. He appeared to him. And, and it, he was the one that said, listen, you've got to understand, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
This, was, her, this son was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And the angel bore witness to Jesus. He was seen by angels. Guess what? The angels not only were present at his birth. They were present in his death. Do you remember when Jesus was facing the cross? And he realized fully the fact that his hour had come and that the sins of the whole world were going to be placed on him and he was going to become sin for us. You know, he realized that. And he was in the garden. He was in the garden. And it's in the book of Matthew. And it's in um, verse, it's, it's in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 43. And Jesus was there in the garden and he was crying out. The cross was right in his face. And he said, oh God, if there's any way, uh, let this cup pass from me. The Bible says in Luke twenty-two forty-three, he was in great agony, great agony, saying, God, if there's any way, any way men can be saved, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done. And then it says in Luke twenty-two forty-three, and an angel came and strengthened him. And then you know what it says in the next verse? And then in great agony, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. You see, the cross was no picnic. Jesus knew what was going to happen. But I want you to know, he said, Father, I surrender. I surrender to the cross so that every person in this room will have an opportunity to be saved. You see, his birth was witnessed by angels. As he went to the cross, there was the presence of angels. Hey, guess what? Who was present when he was raised from the dead? Luke chapter 4, 24, verse 1 says, And the women went to the tomb, and they got there, you know, and there stood there at the entrance to the tomb with the stone rolled away. There were two men in white apparel. There were two angels standing there at the open tomb of the Lord Jesus and said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, glory to God. He is risen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And so it's like Paul just got caught up in the wonder of it all. He said, I want to tell you something. God was manifested in the flesh. And the wonder of it all, he was justified in the spirit. And man, he was seen by angels. They were there at his birth. They were there at his death. And they were there at his resurrection. Guess what? They were there when he ascended back to heaven. You remember Acts chapter 1 verse 11? You men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus is going to come back in like manner as you've seen him go. Did you know he's coming back? And all heaven's going to be standing at attention when the Father says, Son, go, go get your children. I'm hallelujah. The angels were there and witnessed his ascension. Manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen by angels. And then it says that... Uh, he was preached among the nations. Did you know? I want you to think about it. He began to just preach, be preached among the nations. The early church in Acts 1.8, this is what Jesus said to them. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He will be preached among the nations. You remember the early church? Acts chapter 5 verse 42. And daily, and in the, daily in the temple and from house to house. 
they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And then you go on and read the book of Acts, and it says, And they that were scattered abroad were, went everywhere preaching the word. And I want to tell you, today Jesus is being preached among the nation, and soon every tongue and every tribe will hear of the message of the Son of God. And today there are millions who are pro- proclaiming the name of Jesus all over this world. And praise the name of the Lord. I'm telling you, his name is being exalted and preached in every nation. He said, he'll be preached among the nations. See, we've watched every bit of this happen. We've seen it. here And here, I mean, I mean, there's just an awesome, vast army of people who are going all over this earth telling people that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by him. You go on, though, it says, he was man, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels. And today he's being preached the name of Jesus among all the nations. And it says here that he was believed on in the world. He was believed on in the world. People believed in him. You know how it started out? There were 11 disciples. And then there were 120 in the upper room. And then at Pentecost, Peter said, This same Jesus whom you've crucified is Lord in Christ. For we went from 11 to 120. And then all of a sudden, and those that believed, there were 3,000 that believed and were baptized. It says he's going to be believed on among the nations. And you know, all over this world, it would be difficult for you to find a place There's not someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be one among millions, but it doesn't matter. The Bible says he's going to be believed on among the nations. And listen to what Revelation says. I'm telling you, he's going to be believed. In Revelation chapter 5, it says here of Jesus, verse 9, You're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain. You redeemed us to God by your blood. Now listen to this. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's believed on in the world. Did you know what? Why are we, why are we here this morning? God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. And he has believed on him, the world. I want to ask you something. You know why? I want to tell you something. You know why we're here? Because we believe in Jesus. Amen? I mean, we believe in him. We believe he's God manifest in the flesh. Man, we, we believe he bore our sins in his body on the cross. We believe he's the only way to be saved. He's the only way to be delivered. He's the only way to find fullness and meaning in our life. Hey, you know why we're here? Because he's believed on in the world. You are a testimony of the reality of Jesus, God, manifest in the flesh because you believe in him. And when you believed in him, your life was changed by the power of the living God. Hallelujah. Somebody says, well, you know, Brother Fred, now we don't need to make claims for Jesus that he can't fulfill. What a ridiculous statement. You just let Jesus loose and he'll take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. I promise you, nobody can stand. He's believed on in the nations. He's believed on 
uh, in the world. He's believed on. And we believe in him. What an impact he made in this world. Uh, Here I am and here you are. Man, we believe in him. We're trusting in him. We follow him every day. We want to be holy because he is holy. We want to please him because we know that he shed blood, made it possible for us to be forgiven and to be a child of God. And we are forever indebted to him for the rest of our lives and for eternity. We will praise him for all that he's done for us. We believed in him. But, you know, I just get to thinking about Jesus. There's no explanation for him but God. Did you know he never traveled over a hundred miles from his house? He never wrote a book. He, he, he never ever held an office. He never even had a home he could call his own. But do you realize that all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed and all the kings that have ever met and all the parliaments that have ever reigned have not affected the life of man on earth like the solitary life of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. He divided history. Listen, he divided history. B.C. Before Christ. A.D. In the year of our... He divided history. He was believed on in the world. And then it says, he was received up into glory. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus. Justified in the spirit. Jesus. Seen by angels, Jesus. Preached among the nations, Jesus. Believed on in the world, Jesus. And received up into glory. Now I want to show you a great picture. If you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 24. Man, I'm telling you. You say, Brother Fred, what, it was, what did it mean when he was received up into glory? I mean, he died on the cross. He had made the perfect sacrifice for sin. And now he's going back home to heaven. He left heaven and came to here, but he's going back home. And I'm telling you, what does it mean? He was received up into glory. I want to tell you, first of all, the angels welcomed him when he went back home. And I want you to know the Father received him when he went back home. And I am telling you, there was an awesome, awesome coronation when Jesus went back home. The angels welcomed him. The father received him. There was a great coronation and he was seated at the right hand of the father. Listen, he was received back into glory. And look at verse 7 of Psalm 24. Jesus is going back home. The victor, the victorious one, the nails in his hand, the print of the sword in his side, but victory in his hand. Jesus had overcome, hallelujah, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Victory had been won. Salvation was now available. And Jesus, the victor, was going back home. Listen to what it says. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Get this. And the Lord who is mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Wouldn't you not like to have been there when Jesus went was received back into glory? And the angels saw the print of the nails in his hands and the pierced side where the crown of thorns 
had pierced his brow. But the angels welcomed him. The Father received him. And he was crowned. And today, you know what's going on in glory? Today, at the right hand of the Father on high, Jesus is seated in a place of majesty and a place of authority and a place of victory at the right hand of the Father, praying for us and waiting for God to say, Son, bring it to a close. Bring it to a close. I'm going to tell you something. The only solution for this world is for Jesus to come back. (laughs) Now, God wants to do a lot before he comes back. But he may come back a whole lot quicker than you realize. But I want to tell you, he's, he's in glory now, in a place of authority and power and majesty. All heaven adores him. But one day the Father will say, Jesus said, only the Father knows the day or the hour. But the Father will say, now you go back, son, and finish the work on earth that you came to do.